This is Anton Posniak, and I'm presenting another podcast on COVID-19. It's science and society. And today we're going to look at how the virus that's caused COVID-19 has followed Darwinian evolution. And, and who would have known a, a year and a half ago that we would now have multiple variants of this virus, and one in particular, the Delta variant, which has become of much interest to the global population. Joining me today on this podcast is Dr. Sanjay Bagani, who's a consultant physician at the Royal Free Hospital in London. He is a clinician and a frontliner against uh, fighting against COVID for the last year and a half, and is going to today discuss with me some of the issues around variants. But first, Sanjay, let's get some naming uh, and terminology right. What is a variant of concern? So thank you, Anton. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Um, so let's just start off with the, the beta coronaviruses and the evolution in general. So when we first uh, had SARS-CoV-2 and our experience from MERS and SARS-CoV-1, we wondered whether this virus would evolve in the way that other um, uh, RNA viruses do. We know that, that beta coronaviruses have proofreading capacity and so that their evolution uh, over time is much slower than we've seen with other RNA viruses. But as you correctly pointed out, Darwinian evolution uh, is very important to survival of viruses. And there was no doubt uh, that this was going to evolve so that, that it would become fitter. And by fitter, I mean its ability to transmit uh, more effectively. So a variant of concern have arisen uh, over time without any doubt. And so just for the audience, a variant of concern by definition is a variant of the original SARS-CoV-2 that is either associated with increased transmissibility or more severe disease uh, with a significant reduction in neutralization by natural immunity or vaccine-induced immunity and perhaps might have reduced effectiveness of treatments, vaccines, or even diagnostic uh, detection. And so all of those would define a variant of concern. And according to the WHO, we currently have four variants of concern uh, circulating globally. And you know they were originally named after their place of origin. So there was Kant, South Africa, Brazil, India, uh, and then you know there were other nomenclature systems, but we've now decided that it's best to name them after the Greek alphabet, and so there are alpha, beta, gamma, and delta. And it's the delta variant that is causing concern in the UK at the moment. Yeah, and I think that the Delta variant has, has has got a lot of Europe and perhaps outside of Europe very concerned and worried, and uh, uh, because of some of the issues we're going to discuss, especially the transmittability. But can you just tell us how it's different, just just quickly about uh, molecularly? How is this different from the, the from the baseline uh, virus that we saw a year and a half ago? And so what are the bases of all the variants of concern that we have circulating currently has been 
their uh, increased ability uh, to transmit uh, amongst uh, human populations. And this is based around mutations on the spike protein. So remember, it's the, it's the spike protein that is used to enter cells by binding uh, to, to receptors on the cell surface. And any mutation that, that increases the virus's ability to get into cells and to replicate more uh, effectively makes it much more transmissible. And so all the mutations that we're seeing that, that define variants of concern are mostly around the, the, the spike domain. So for the Delta virus, uh, there are three particular mutations of concern. There is the D614G. This was the original mutation that, that, that evolved outside of China, and it was probably the first variant uh, that came out of, out of China and spread across Europe and the rest of the world. But it has also got two unique mutations. There's the L452R mutation that increases its ability to bind to its target cell, and then the E484Q mutation. So these are key mutations that Delta variants got that increases ability uh, to get into cells more effectively and to replicate more effectively. So I'd like to just try and explore why these variants uh, arise and spread so rapidly. Uh, outside of, we'll talk about the increased transmittability of them, but you know, within within a host population. So there's there's some data that's been coming out that people who have uh, COVID for a long period of time and they keep on having the virus and they don't clear the virus could generate mutations which might lead to variants. Um, is there much evidence that that is the case as a sort of an origin of uh, a variant? So there's certainly been some suggestion, Anton, that that you know that that some of the variants that 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 we saw uh, right at the beginning, uh, you know, so so the the alpha variant probably arose in uh, a population that that was persistently viremic. In other words, they they had continued viral replication, uh, and so so these were uh, mutations that escaped. The immune response in, in 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 individuals, and then had the the um, ability uh, to replicate quicker, and so they became more transmissible. Now, clearly, as you well know, and as this audience will probably well appreciate, that that in order to get spread uh, of any infection, not only do you need uh, the the whole susceptibility to an infection, but also the the correct environment in which you would be able to transmit an an infection, and so this is a combination of host plus virus plus environmental factors that has led to the spread of the variants. Well, you know, we're all concerned about what's going to happen to us in terms of releasing lockdown. Do you think a lot of people gathering together? Uh, um can spark off uh the trans you know the 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 way that a variant actually spreads so it, it gets it gets into a, a large number of people who then disseminate and they then disseminate it off is there any evidence or any thoughts that that could have happened with this delta variant and that's happening now yeah I mean, for 
for for sure, um, Anton. That that you know this this virus is now the the predominant virus in the Indian subcontinent. It has clearly arrived in the UK, and because of its ability uh, to transmit more effectively than its predecessors, uh, it is now become the dominant virus uh, that is transmitting in the UK. And of course, in order to facilitate virus transmission, not only do you need a susceptible host, but you also need an environment in which transmission events will occur. And so mass gatherings is, is the perfect way in which this is able to do this. But then, you know, we, we've had a lot of scientists and modelers saying you should have 30 people only at a wedding. You should space yourself like this. You should do this. Do you think with this Delta variant that we're going to change the rules on, on how how many people might be at a gathering because it's now becoming very dominant and how many how far apart we might be or um what the rules could could be could this could this change what uh, the governments are telling us or what all the governments around the world are are actually advising so what we are seeing currently in the UK is increased transmission and increased transmission in susceptible individuals uh, and, and by susceptible individuals, I mean people that have not been vaccinated or have not completed two doses of vaccine of the virus. And then uh, susceptible individuals, by which I mean unvaccinated uh, people. And then clearly, the you know, so it, without the measures of social distancing, mask wearing, mask gatherings, etc., uh, you are going to facilitate transmission. And I think it is really important that we break this chain of transmission by A, ensuring that we've got uh, our population completely and fully vaccinated, and B, if we're not able to do that, ensure uh, that we've got the, the, uh, the, the public health measures in place to stop transmission. Yeah, because it seems that this this variant has really taken hold in, as you say, uh, those who are either not vaccinated or not had chance to have a second vaccine, but also in communities where, whereby there may be an, uh, um, some evidence of multi-generational households, perhaps poverty, overcrowding, etc. But the, 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 some of the latest data is worrying me, uh, Sanjay, and that's around schools and how this is circulating around schools, because kids are taking this home, obviously, uh, and schools are a mass gathering of, of, a, of a type. Do you think we should be vaccinating the school kids? Yeah, this is this is a really pertinent question, um, Anton, and, and I think we're going to get more data around this in the next uh, two to three weeks, as uh, you know, the, the school children go back from half term. Uh, you know, it was in in that in our second wave of the pandemic, this was one of the, the issues that was raised in, in other words, whilst school children might not get unwell with the virus, might they be able to facilitate viral transmission in susceptible adults? And, and certainly this is data that we're gonna wait on over the next few weeks, but this is gonna be crucial in terms of deciding where we go next uh, with this in, in the UK. But in the meantime, I think what we need to do 
is to make sure that that susceptible adults are definitely vaccinated. And as we start to get data around vaccine safety in 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 children, uh, then that's going to be our next step. And to just to reassure myself and the listeners, um, this variant has had no data suggesting it's more lethal. Uh, correct, uh, Anton, and I, you know, whilst we have now uh, beyond any reasonable doubt data to suggest that it's more transmissible uh, than the alpha variant, so the, the predominant variant in the UK current uh, or, or, or prior to Delta, it is certainly much more transmissible and, and anything between 30 to 50% more transmissible and even, even greater. We have not seen this translate into uh, hospitalizations and increased morbidity and mortality so far. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is one of the things that I think the, the health service has been very concerned about. I mean, yeah, there are more people uh, being admitted now because of that, they're the unvaccinated, but those that have been vaccinated, um, uh, they can be reassured that it's unlikely they're going to get sick with this. Is that correct? So, Again, this is watch the space and data, but but both from personal experience and the data that we've seen uh, from Public Health England to date suggests that if you've had two doses of vaccine, you are less likely to be hospitalized with the Delta variant. Um, there are exceptions to this, and you know we may be seeing some very elderly patients who've had uh, two doses of vaccine right at the beginning of when we started our vaccination program in December, January, whose vaccine responses may be waning now, this is six months down the line, who may be becoming susceptible uh, to uh, not only infection, but also possibly uh, disease as well, but we we await that data, and then clearly, uh, you know, the, the the vaccine authorities are onto this, and and if we need to, you know, booster doses of vaccine will be very important as we move into autumn. Yeah, I, I mean, if that's the case, the whole world is going to have a problem because we're basing most, well, nearly all the vaccines at two doses, and we're basing our hope to get out of this on, on, on everyone being doubly vaccinated. If we need a third one, uh, the manufacturers and the distribution and the equity of distribution will all come under question again. Um, but what, what I want to move on to now is, do you think there's any particular uh, vaccine that will, is better against this virus? Is there any evidence that that might be the case? mRNA, protein, virus, um, you know, a modified viruses, etc. Is there any evidence or any of them are, are, are induce better neutralizing antibodies to this virus? So we're starting to see data emerge uh, from laboratory studies uh, with uh, patient sera and pseudoviruses that suggest uh, that two doses of at least the mRNA vaccines, whilst they have slightly reduced efficacy, uh, are still effective. Uh, we haven't seen the same data from the other vaccines just as yet, but this, this will emerge in the fullness of time. It looks like at the moment, at least with the widespread uh, use of, of uh, mRNA vaccines, that the two doses are probably uh, sufficient 
to protect the vast majority, at least against severe infection as well. So, I mean, one of the, you still, as, as I still believe that vaccination is the keystone to get us out of this. And even with this Delta variant, the more people we can get vaccinated, the more likely we are to uh, reduce its circulation rate. Is that, is, is that a naive thought or, or are we still holding on to that as a, as a basic principle? So, so we, we need to have a multi-pronged approach to this. And the platform to that multi-pronged attach is to have uh, an immunized and protected population. Uh, and where that is not possible, we might still need some social distancing and public health measures. But I think you are absolutely right. The way to get out of this is to have a vaccinated population in, a, in, a, in an individual where the virus is not able to replicate, the virus has no capacity to mutate. And I think that yeah. is the key. Okay, so um, the, what about people who say, I've had COVID before, I'm fine now, uh, and I've had a vac one vaccination uh, or, or even no vaccinations. I've had COVID before, uh, I'm protected. Uh, what, what are you going to say to those people about with this variant? I, I, I not only with the variant, uh, Anton, but I would I would say to them that the natural immunity is probably likely to wane, uh, and and that it may not protect you against uh, new infections, especially if it, if it's going to be variants that might evade uh, an immune response from a previous variant, uh, and so that vaccination is really key, even in those that have had an infection before. What we don't understand is whether there is T-cell immunity that, that might protect, uh, but at the moment it looks like it may not protect against infections, but it will protect against severe disease. And, and the key is to break this cycle, because if you're not infected, you're not likely to transmit. So I'm going to finish off now with a couple of medical things. One is about uh, people are using monoclonal antibodies to treat either treat or prophylax prevent covid for example if you you know you you've got poor immunity and you you can't generate an immune response because you're on chemotherapy or you've got uh, some immune suppressants because you've got uh, renal transplant or you're severely suppressed with hiv uh, they use you could use monoclonal antibodies uh, have we got any evidence about the monoclonal the the utility of monoclonals against this delta variant or are we still in unknown territory there as well so there is some laboratory uh, data uh, with the use of pseudoviruses to, to suggest that there might be reduced efficacy of some of the monoclonal antibodies uh, against some of these variants, including the Delta variant. Uh, uh, however, you know that many of these antibodies come as combinations of, of, of two monoclonal antibodies and then may be able to overcome uh, that some of that resistance to monoclonal antibodies. So monoclonal antibodies will be important in our fight against COVID-19. Uh, however, what I would really love to see is oral antivirals that that would be the key uh, in addition to, to vaccines in, in terms of, of preventing uh, another um, widespread lockdown. Yeah, we're 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 quite behind on the small molecules, aren't we, compared with the vaccines? 
So now I just want to end, of course, with a horror story, this sort of story that's come out of India about the black fungus, mucomycosis. Now, uh, mucomycosis is something that most of us just read about in a book, never seen a case, is very, very rare. And unless you work in specific units, you're not going to see one the whole, you're, even if you're a doctor for 10 lifetimes. So, but now we've had this story out of India, out of Gujarat, that this is becoming common in those patients who have got the delta variant is the delta variant precipitating this what's what's going on in india sanjay yeah anton this is this is as you can imagine really shaken the world of infectious diseases and, and you know we have seen huge numbers of reports uh, of mucomycosis from the, the subcontinent. Um, now, let's just first of all say that, that India is a country with high background levels of mucomycosis. Mucomycosis is a number of different fungal infections of the mucorrhizae group uh, that causes infections in the immunocompromised, but particularly in patients with high levels of glucose in their blood, so it thrives on glucose, and it likes an acid environment as well. And so the high use of steroids in COVID-19 is probably uh, a huge driving factor uh, for mucomycosis in the Indian subcontinent. And, you know, I, I, I've heard stories of incredibly high doses of steroids being used uh, in the Indian subcontinent for the treatment of COVID-19. This is all now rectified with the national guidelines. And so everybody's going back to, uh, you know, low dose uh, corticosteroids for patients with COVID-19. Oh, well, that that makes me feel a little better that we're not going to see this uh, widespread here in the UK where we have a lot of Delta variants. So it's really um, partly atrogenic and partly the host and partly where the, where the fungus lives has, has caused all this. Okay. Well, uh, I've been talking to Sanjay Bagani, who's a consultant physician at the Royal Free and has been on the front line of COVID. He's a clinician and, as you've heard today, an absolute expert in all things COVID-19. And I'm Anton Posniak, and we've been discussing science and society, COVID-19, and we look forward to seeing you all again at our next uh, podcast. Thank you, Dr. Bagani. Thank you, Anton. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Make sure to check out the notes for any references during the podcasts. You can learn more about virology education and our other programs at www.academicmedicaleducation.com. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.